Today is a conversation about getting informed. When you can speak competently to the desires of the consumer, to the problems and challenges facing the consumer, that's what makes you worthy of hire. So get ready to buckle into a very detailed numbers-driven conversation. We're gonna talk today about what's up with our inventory issue. Like really, what's causing it? What's going on, Marketing Stream viewers? My name is Jason Pantana, your host, and I am stoked for this doozy of a conversation. Yes, a doozy. I have the privilege of interviewing the Vice President of Demographics and Behavioral Insights of the National Association of Realtors, Dr. Jessica Louts, who has a PhD, a doctorate in real estate. This conversation is gonna be a look at trends and insights and what's happening in the marketplace to make it the marketplace that it is, which is mostly defined by a lack of inventory, i.e. there just aren't enough homes for sales. And we're gonna talk about all of it. Now, why? Why? Because I want your marketing to be more relevant. Think about what marketing is. Marketing is just a megaphone of whatever message you're speaking to consumers. Like your value proposition is not your marketing. Your marketing is the way you talk about your value proposition. So what's your value proposition? Ultimately, I would say that it is your knowledge base. It is your skill and experience as a broker, as an agent in your marketplace to help guide people through buying and selling real estate, investing in real estate, leasing possibly real estate, all those aspects of the brokerage transaction, that's your value proposition. And to do that most optimally, you've gotta be informed. Today is a conversation about getting informed. When you can speak competently to the desires of the consumer, to the problems and challenges facing the consumer, that's what makes you worthy of hire. So get ready to buckle into a very detailed numbers-driven conversation. We're gonna to talk today about what's up with our inventory issue. Like really, what's causing it? And it's not just one thing. It's all things uniting and coming together to create a crazy marketplace. We'll talk about millennials. We'll talk about new construction. We'll talk about lumber costs. We're gonna talk about the influence of the pandemic. We're gonna talk about all the things that have been causing the market to be what it is and ultimately what they're likely going to do to create the market that we're gonna be going into in the future. This is an episode you need to be listening to if you wanna be informed about what's happening in the marketplace with buyers and sellers and how you should communicate with them based upon what's happening. We're going to talk about pets and declining birth rates. And we're going to talk about demand and changes of lifestyle preferences in consumers. We'll talk about multi-generational households. You're going to get the stat today that one in six buyers is a multi-gen transaction. The marketplace is changing. And to be the agent of choice, you got to change with it, adapt with it. So today's a conversation to dive headfirst into. I'm stoked. Let's jump into this conversation with Dr. Jessica Louts. Dr. Jessica Louts, thank you so much for joining us today on Marketing Stream. I'm super excited to jump into this topic about what's happening in terms of trends, what's happening in terms of consumer lifestyle changes, behavior changes, and what do agents need to know to make sure their, their marketing is really on point and connecting with today's consumer and helping people move forward. So first, thank you so much for, for jumping in on this session. I appreciate it. Yeah, totally. I'm so psyched to be talking with you. I know that we connected a couple of years ago, right. pre-pandemic, and yeah, it's been so good to stay in touch. Hardly. Like it was February right before everything happened. So it was... Uh, it was just like it was one of my last trips just before um, everything happened. But I'm I'm excited to talk again. I know you've been super busy over the past year, just kind of becoming one of the leading authorities in all things about what's happening in real estate. And we're super grateful for your insight, your knowledge, and helping make agents and teams more productive. So, all right, let's jump in. Just I got several questions I want to go through with you, and you can kind of direct me if my questions aren't what you need to get the word out, like use this platform as a space to get the word out to realtors in terms of what they need to do. But the first thing I wrote down is talk to us about what's happening in real estate marketplaces across the US and anywhere else that you have context for. But I know you're with NAR. So 
the U.S., what's happening to marketplaces with inventory shortages? What are we seeing there? Kind of give us the, the sense of that. Yeah. Oh, that is the big question today is the inventory shortage and how it's affecting the affordability crisis that we're seeing today. Essentially, there's a lot of factors that are happening all at one time. Um, One is the big millennial generation that everyone loves talking about. They are here. They are home buyers. They are peak home buying age as a first time home buyer. Mm. Um, And a lot of them have been at home with mom and dad for the last year. So they have cash saved up. They've paid down their student debt and they're ready to enter the marketplace and they have some flexibility. And the big flexibility that they have is from their boss. They don't have to necessarily be where their office setting is anymore. They don't have to be tied to that urban center. So they can actually move home to perhaps a a smaller secondary city, a walkable Mm. suburb, um, and they suddenly are in the marketplace. And then the other factor that's happening is there's a lot of second home buyers right now. They're jumping into the marketplace. They're saying, you know what? Maybe this year isn't the year for international travel. I didn't travel last year internationally, but I very much want uh, a vacation retreat that I can pop into a couple weekends a month. Maybe I grow vegetables there, or maybe I have a place where I can go hiking in the weekend and be out of where my primary residence is Mm. and just take a breather. And so we're seeing that as well. Um, And we're seeing that boomers have a lot of home equity right now, and they're not necessarily downsizing, but they are moving into another place. Um, All of these converging factors are really driving a lot of demand into the market um, and the inventory is tight. Yeah. Okay. All right. So we got a lot of millennials. And so really it sounds like the millennials are a huge component behind a lot of the boom that we're seeing based upon your description right there, which is sort of a, I mean, I hear about it a lot, but I've also heard things about you know, the pandemic caused a lot of people to not want to sell and it created a backlog and all that kind of stuff. But you would say the millennials are a huge component here then. Oh, it's all these factors at once. There is no one <laughs> one factor. And I, I think that's the hard thing is you can't answer it quickly because we don't have enough building. We don't have enough housing supply. We don't have enough new housing supply. Um, and if people want to purchase a second home, that's just further eating into it as well. So it's all of these factors converging and creating this very big mess of an inventory crisis that we have. Okay. And then they, again, so they're just converging at once and it's creating sort of one affects the other and the other affects the other. And then bam, it's just kind of a, a traffic jam. I've used the analogy in, in the past where I've said, you know, it's kind of like when you're riding on the interstate. And traffic backs up and you get up expecting to find the scene of a big accident and there's kind of nothing there. And you <laughs> slow down to look around and you're like, I'm the problem. I just I just slowed down to look to see what there was and it wasn't. But then that caused the backup or something to that effect. It's just a bunch of things at once. Yeah. Everyone got out of the workplace at the same time. They jumped on the same highway. They ran around the same corner and now we're here. So All this right. is really what we're looking at. Yeah. So talk to our audience of agents, team leaders, and so forth. Um, You mentioned a second ago that affordability is the result of the inventory shortage. Help educate our our viewer just so as they're talking to buyers and sellers and their consumers, they can really speak in a way that's informative about what's happening and what's the relationship between affordability and inventory. Yeah, absolutely. So I think in a dream world, you would have a lot of homes that you could go and tour and you could view and you could pick out your ideal home and you would put a contract on that and you'd get an offer set and you'd be all all good to go. But right now what we're seeing is that buyers have to put down a lot of offers before they find that perfect home and there's not a lot in their price point. Mm 
And mm-hmm. so I think making them understand that they're not alone in this is, is very helpful. And there are a lot of escalation clauses that are happening right now and a lot of waving of contingencies. And I think really importantly, a quarter of offers right now are all cash. They're all cash buyers, wow. a quarter. And yeah, and that's really a big driver because if you're a seller in the market, you're probably going to find that pretty darn attractive to take that all cash offer. There's no need that you need to wait for any mortgage financing or any concern that that might fall through. Um, and, and that's definitely a hurdle right now for buyers to be able to enter that market. So I know this isn't really like, I know your job is to kind of report on what's happening, not to say what to do about it. But I am just curious if you have a perspective on you're working with a buyer and you tell them, hey, listen, you're up against 25% of every offer is straight up cash. Every seller in the right mind is thinking about looking for the sure thing because they're most likely about to go enter into the realms of being a buyer themselves. And so whatever they can do to mitigate that complexity on the front end, they're going to do it. What would you say to somebody in that position? Should they be, should they feel confident waiving contingencies? And I know that's hard to know, like I'm not going to, I'm putting on the spot, but what do you think about that? I mean, my gut instinct is that's not a great idea if you're a buyer and and you need to be paying for the things in your house. If that hot water heater breaks and you should have known going in that it was going to break, what are you going to do if that basement floods? And so I, I think, you know, going into it with your eyes open is it so incredibly important to buyers today. And I would say have patience during that process that your buyer uh, you as a buyer are tired. Your agent is tired, but you're going to find a home. So just have patience through that process. Let me rephrase it like this, because I guess it would somewhat depend on, well, what I'm willing to do as a buyer somewhat depends on what I think is going to happen next. So if you mm-hmm. had to kind of hold the crystal ball and say, well, based upon trends and forecasting, here's what I see happening over the next 12 months, 18 months, or however often in the future you can go. Do you see us heading in any certain direction as a market is concerned? that you would comment on? So I will say this. (laughs) Without getting in trouble? (laughs) Uh, I will say this. Um, NAR does have a great forecast that they put out on about a quarterly basis. Um, So do check that out. But I will say interest rates will probably tick up a little bit. They're not going to get into some crazy range. Right now we have these really amazing interest rates in the threes, right? They're going to be sticking around in that area. They're not going to be going up considerably, but they probably will take up a little. Um, as far as inventory coming to the market, the home builders are are starting to build. Yeah. Is that affordable? Probably not. Um, and so you're going to have some unaffordable inventory that will be coming into the market. But there are some buyers for those those types of properties right now. Um, The other relief that we could be seeing is the vaccine has been pumped out very considerably in the U.S. And that's a relief. Just some older sellers who were scared to list their home. Now they're saying, oh, okay, now I do feel comfortable doing that. So that could have some movement. Okay. So just to kind of recap what I heard for my own benefit, not for the audience. In terms of the future, we don't really see a whole lot happening to slow things down. If anything, um, it will continue. We're going to see rates tick up a little bit, not enough to cool off buyer demand, I wouldn't think, and or not enough to restrict their purchasing power by that much. Two, we might see a slight uptick in inventory because you see some folks who might have been very conscientious to go on market during COVID, and now they're feeling a greater sense of confidence with the vaccine being available. So that could help maybe a little bit cool the inventory demand. We have some builders building expensive product that could potentially... Which, you know, like for a move up type of seller, that could be a good situation where they, they're they reluctant to sell their property because they don't know where they're going to go. But if they can get under contract on a new construction property that meets their needs, maybe they feel the willingness to go ahead and do that. So that's that's all good. 
Um, plus what did the builder have to pay for the land to get the land plus the materials and the lumbers going up through the roof right now. So there's that factor as well. So I guess I would kind of like look at the net effect and say, things are going to keep kind of going at this pace for all intents and purposes, aren't they? They are. Um, I, I say, I say this with hesitation though. Sure. We didn't know that COVID was going to happen and we didn't know that all of these supply issues were going to hit. No. So I say that with big hesitation of, I'm not sure that we all have a crystal ball of what's going to happen six months yes. to a year down the road. <laughs> Completely understood that all of us are like, hey, all the things we think we know, we don't know that much. But based right. upon what we know, here's what we can see going forward. So I, I certainly appreciate the humility in that response. <laughs> I, have it, I have it too. Um, okay. I, I have a question that a lot of my clients have been asking me. And then, and for my viewers who are listening, like, when's this going to get around to marketing? It, it will, but ultimately marketing is messaging. And so what I want my viewers to pick up today is what's happening in the marketplace so that we can craft messaging that connects with consumers at a really meaningful level and helps people have confidence in terms of what choices they can and should or shouldn't make based upon their own level of comfort. So a lot of my clients are asking, where are, and you somewhat already mentioned it, but where are all these buyers coming from? And, and here's mm-hmm. sort of the... I'm going to try to paint the picture of this. It's like there's this feverish demand for buying property. Um, and some folks are like, is it that there are more buyers or is it that there is simply less inventory that makes it appear like there are more buyers, kind of an illusion, or is it both? And I just, I won't get any more specific than that, but in general, what would you say back to that strange question? <laughs> I would say it's both, but the inventory is really the the leading cause there. And and the reason why I say that is because builders have been underbuilding for more than a decade, actually closer to 13, 14 years. Wow. And so seeing that underbuilding for such a long period of time, builders were not prepared to see the wave of millennials who knew, now do have cash. And I, I'm saying this largely as a very general statement because they're a very large generation and different people were impacted very drastically differently during the pandemic. So the K-shaped recovery, people did very well. They stocked up a lot of cash. They cut down on on entertainment spending and and they stayed at home. They saved a lot of money versus those who unfortunately had hours cut. So those with a lot of cash, they're there and they want to buy. Okay. Um, Do we have any optics on how many were in the millennial generation? I mean, this is kind of a, I'm asking you to pull a number out of thin air, but is there any kind of a sense of how many millennials were probably positively impacted versus negatively? Or do we have any study on that? I don't. Um, that's a really good question. Um, I, I, sure I don't at all. <laughs> I wasn't sure if it was a good question or a, a naive question. I was just guessing. No, I think that's a really good question. So I think the answer to that is how many people in your local area can work from home? And I think that's the answer to the question. And so if we look at places Mm -hmm. like DC or Washington State, about half of the population can work from home because you're focused on people who work in an office or work in tech. Um, So those are where you're going to see the large populations. If you really want to dig into that, you can check out the census pulse data. They're they're doing some great reporting on that. Um, And they do it on the state level. I think it's interesting because it's like this thing just keeps on going and going and going and going. And you're like, well, it's certainly not just limited to the pandemic. And it's certainly not just limited to millennials. And it's certainly not just limited to the cost of lumber and construction. It's certainly not just one thing. It's all these things acting together. And I would say what's more, because of all those things, and I'm curious your perspective on this, because of all things, there are all these folks who would sell, but they don't know how to buy and sell at the same time. Because their purchase is going to be that logistics gymnastics of trying to sell and buy at the same time. And so when you look at the logistics gymnastics, 
I would argue, and I have no data on this other than anecdotal feedback that I get from clients all the time, and and I intuitively know it to be true, but how much of this is also the fact of there are people who would normally be on the market right now selling and they're not because they don't know how to do that? Oh yeah, there's absolutely musical chairs going on. You don't wanna have the chair that's left out when the music stops. Um, and there are definitely some sellers who are probably hesitating and hedging right now. Um, I don't necessarily have advice on that transaction uh, going forward on that, but I will say that absolutely that's happening. It has yeah. to be. Well, we put out, we've been putting out on, on my channel and on Tom's channel, we've been putting out quite a bit of strategy and tactics um, in terms of what you can do, such as uh, extending escrow periods, the risky post-occupancy agreements, uh, those we've talked about a lot of different options. None of them are perfect, um, which goes back to like you were talking about buyers and advising buyers on get ready for escalation clauses. Um, I'm going to, I have a video coming out uh soon that's talking about how to win multiple offers. And some of the things that you as an agent find yourself saying, here are the options to win a multiple offer. You're like, you have to be crazy to do that. Begging the question, and I'm being somewhat tongue in cheek, but begging the question, why would you do that? But yet people continue to do that, which then tells me that the alternative of not buying a house is worse than buying a house. That the need to buy a house now versus where people feel like the market is going exists strong enough to make me go through it and do it. Does that make any sense rationally? I think it does make sense. I think that people also know that interest rates will likely go up by the end of the sure. year and not drastically. But if you're on the edge and you want to take advantage of that, or even if you're buying a million dollar home, you want to take advantage of those lower interest rates. Um, why not do that? And you know that home prices are going to rise with lower inventory. So try and jump in now if you can. Even like I talked to my brother, it was last fall, he was going to buy a house. And he was like, just venting to me, I can't believe how much money it costs. And I was like, imagine what it might cost next spring. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and he was like, oh. So he went ahead <laughs> and got it and he got like a two point something rate. And I was talking to him the other day, I was like, how do you feel about that? He was like, I feel like I've made about 80,000 in equity already on that decision. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's that's incredible. And I, I think when we talk about even the supply issues, like we knew years ago, we had a lumber issue pre-pandemic. But now I'm getting texts from my neighbor who are saying, I can't find paint within 100 miles to paint my ceiling. Now we're having all of these issues, concrete issues, appliance issues, furniture issues, if you try and order something. So just thinking about what's in the future is making people go, no, what's I need to make this job that? now. <laughs> well, there's a lot of answers behind that too. So some of it is COVID, some of it's COVID related production issues. Uh, some of it's shipping, international shipping. Uh, tariffs are behind it as well, um, as well as that Suez Canal, the, the, the ship that was stuck, the container ship yeah. for all, less than a week, but it just created a ripple a effect of supply issues. Yeah, absolutely. So all of these things do have impacts to other things here at Domino's. Well, and I would say in general, the black swan event of the pandemic is most certainly disrupted supply chains. Do mm -hmm. I think that it was that acting alone? No, not in most cases, but do I think that was a major contributing cause? I do. I had to wait, <laughs> right. I had to wait three months to get a Peloton and I think I actually did pretty well <laughs> in terms of waiting. Um, so, I mean, yeah, that's been, that's, I mean, I know this is kind of going off the rails of our conversation a little bit, but it's like you think about what it's been to get some of the materials or buying furniture we're looking at bunk beds for our kids. You can't get them. They're sold out. It's just everything is hard to get. Getting a bike for my son's birthday was hard to get. Right. 
Yes. Yes. Don't try and order a dishwasher right now or a, a piece of furniture. It's just good luck. <laughs> Don't buy anything. It's kind of, no. <laughs> but, but then, but everybody is buying everything. So it's, right. it, it just kind of goes to show the grind of existing in our consumer culture right now. And I think that grind exists inside of real estate, maybe most noticeably inside of real estate, but it's all over the place. And it's, I guess, like you said, the grind of all these factors. So it's, it's millennials, it's mobility and flexibility due to work from home. It's the pandemic itself and fears and concerns and all those impacts that were real. It's lumber shortages that have been going on for too long, building that's been delayed for too long. It's all these things. Did I miss anything? No, I don't think so. It's a pretty wide spectrum. (laughs) Yeah. And then also sellers who don't sell because they have to buy and they don't have to do that because of all the other things. Just kind of being the bow that ties it all together. And so because of that, we have back. Yeah. Yeah, I guess I'll add in I'll add in another crazy factor here is that we do have a jump in people who are older adult relatives who are now living in family members' homes. Uh, multi-generational buying increased to 15% of all buyers. It's 18% among Gen Xers. Pre-pandemic, it was about 11%. So you, we've really seen this jump. And with that, you see nursing homes are actually suffering right now financially, and, and they're starting to close down in some areas. And so you see all these family members, older adults within these homes, and that's causing a drive in buying as well, um, which is just a very interesting phenomenon that we'll have to watch moving forward to see if this sticks, if this yeah. is a sticky trend. Well, and the other thing I'm looking at too is, you know, I have consu- I have clients who are in... Um, urban markets, suburban markets, rural markets. Um, I have clients who are in all different states, uh, and I'm just talking U.S. only right now. Here, there, and everywhere. And I have clients who are reporting, hey, we're seeing massive migration. People are leaving one place for another. But then I have clients in those same markets saying people are coming in from elsewhere. And I really do feel like the game of musical chairs applies right now. And, mm-hmm. and I'm going to make some assumptions that there are a couple of trends behind it, and I'd love for you to correct me on this. One is the ability to work from anywhere is a trend that allows me to say, you know what, I want to go back to being near family or whatever mm-hmm. may be the driving cause. Um, I would also say that I would be remiss if I didn't make a comment that there's, and I don't want to go too deep on this because I want to be careful, but I do think there are political tones too that are people are moving. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you have any commentary on, well, let me shade one last thing to it. It doesn't really matter. Like, it's not like everybody's leaving one spot, period. People are going to the spots they're leaving and leaving spots for other places, period. It's just musical chairs. Mm -hmm. I don't know if I'm painting an accurate picture. Can you help me kind of make sense of that? Yes, absolutely. I mean, I can't make sense of it, but I can say that these are some things that are going on here. (laughs) Um, I will say something that has been a very interesting trend to watch is that the number one reason for sellers to sell today is not just for a bigger home, which is very important to everyone right now, but it's also to be close to friends and family. That is not something that was a trend if we look four years ago in the data. Family has become so important during the pandemic. It's the place that we relied on financial support, emotional support um, for whatever bubble you were living in. Those were important to you. That family was important to you. And so we do see this movement. And I think we're at a crucial time right now because CEOs are saying these are either my you have to be in the office five days a week again, or maybe it's in the office two days a week, or maybe you don't have to be at all. And I think that's a crucial decision. And it's it's a crucial time for buyers to now say, oh, I don't have to go back. I can go to a more affordable place where my family is, where I have that support system if anything like this ever happens again. So where I live, I live in Nashville. And one of the things we're noticing here is we are getting a lot of California migration who mm-hmm. is bringing major buying power. 
into our marketplace mm-hmm. and competing against their money is hard for a lot of locals to do. So it's driving our prices up. Um, so again, I think that also somewhat exasperates some of the, the leaps and jumps that we're seeing in price points, not just affordable, yeah. not just inventory shortages, but who's competing is sort of the question right. mark that I'm asking. So yeah. Absolutely. And that, that, that brings in all those all cash buyers too. If you're coming from New York or you're coming from California and you have a lot of equity in a home and you're moving to Nashville, you might be able to put down quite a sizable down payment or even play all cash. Quite a bit. Absolutely. And in fact, I'm pretty confident it's happening, not just in Nashville, but in lots of markets around the U S. Okay. So this is going to be kind of an open-ended question. I'm thinking about this through the lens of marketing and we said it a second ago that marketing, like it's really just underpinned by a message that either connects or doesn't connect with consumer. It solves a problem or it addresses a problem, or in some way it helps kind of uh, appeal to a desire of a consumer. With everything we talked about, how do you think agents should be communicating message-wise with their customer base? And I, like I said, this is a very open-ended question. It may <laughs> fall flat, but we're going to give it a shot. Oh my gosh, I am not a marketer. Um, so I, w- I will say patience. It's the it's the biggest thing that I I could say right now to anyone who's embarking on the buying process. Sellers don't necessarily need a ton of patience. You're going to have those offers, um, but buyers out there need a lot of patience. So anything that the agent can say to make them feel less anxious and less anxiety right now in this anxious filled time, I think could be helpful. And I'm not a marketer, so I didn't really wrap that up in a pretty bow. <laughs> I think it's sound advice. And and candidly, like the reason I wanted to interview is A, you're awesome. But B, because I believe being the knowledge broker in your local marketplace is, is, you know, it's more important now than it's ever been in the history of my career, for sure. Um, So I think that knowing what's happening, what are the reasons behind it, being able to talk intelligently about those reasons, I think that alone is a mechanism of creating some calm and some understanding. Because when people don't know what's going on, when you don't know why there's a traffic jam, you're just getting mad and like mm-hmm. cursing to the air and getting frustrated. When you at least know what's going on, it gives you perspective so you can start timing things out, pacing yourself, making a plan and feeling a bit more in control. And I think that the knowledge can help the consumer, the buyer, the seller, the whoever, feel a bit more in control of the circumstances in navigating the waters and finding their path to wherever it is they're trying to go. So. I, I think you did answer the question. I think you're answering the question for the entire show. Um, okay. I, I'll ask you one more thing, just kind of in wrapping up today. Uh, what's changed with consumers? And I would ask that question through the lens of um, lifestyle changes. And, and feel free to repeat some of the things you already said, because I think they should be heard twice. You talked about multi-gen and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, lifestyle changes, uh, but also like mechanistically the housing changes, demand for different types of product. Mm-hmm. What's been happening from a consumer standpoint? Yeah, I think the most interesting things that I think are happening demographics wise are, are not just the millennials coming in. They're here. They're, it doesn't matter. <laughs> They're here. They are the adults buying homes. But it's also the drop in birth rates. Um, that is a massive change to the housing industry and something that's so important to the economy because it changes what someone needs in a home and where they're looking for a home. That perfect school district doesn't matter if you don't have kids and you have no intention of having them. Um, the, the other big thing that we saw change is the growth in multi-generational homes 
homes during the pandemic. And then on a much lighter note, a big change that happened was the adoption of pets and the purchase of pets during the pandemic. It is a massive driver for people to buy a home. You don't want to pay pet fees in an apartment and you suddenly need more space for that new dog that you have that is now a year old. She's Um, over there right now. (laughs) It's my quarantine dog. Absolutely. But the people who lived in that home also changed this year. And so it's not just what people need from their home that has changed, but it's who's living in that home as well. All right. So I wrote down three things, a decline of birth rates, uh, demand for multi-gen homes, and then pets becoming more central to lifestyles. Let's talk about the birth rates for a second. Do you have any optics on by how much have we seen a decline? And can you just spell it out more clearly for the viewer exactly how that might impact? The marketplace. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. We're at a hundred year low. It's the lowest that NIH has actually ever recorded in birth rates in this country. The lowest, honestly, um, in a century. When we look at home buyers who purchased back in 1985, 58% of home buyers had a kid. Today, it's just a third of home buyers have a kid. So about 33%. So that massive drop is a change. And do you need that perfect school district? Do you care about the convenience to the school? Do you need that extra bedroom? Maybe it's a Zoom room now for you as an adult, but you don't need it for a, for a child's bedroom. So that's a different type of size, a different need. Um, yeah, it, okay. it's a very, very interesting change. Do you see that that's having any kind of an impact in terms of maybe um, suburban single family home versus condo or downtown living? Is it, is it connecting there or? So not really. What's very interesting is that we do even see for single buyers, they still want uh, more square footage. They want a single family home. Townhouses are hot too, because you don't have to worry about as much maintenance. Um, but we do see that a single family home in the burbs is attractive to nearly everyone. Is that always been the case? Or do you feel like due to, not feel like, do we know that due to quarantines and restrictions and things of that effect that people are putting a bigger premium on square footage because they work from home, work out from mm-hmm. home, live all their stuff at home versus living in <laughs> yeah. an apartment. Is that, so is that I, affecting it too? Yeah. So it was a pre-pandemic trend, but there's an acceleration of that trend. So we saw it, yeah, pre-pandemic that people wanted the space. It's where you can find affordability and you can find more square footage and you don't have to move quickly if you do outgrow it. Um, but we did see the, the pandemic definitely accelerated that trend. All right. So, but I think what you said is, is interesting that it was already happening. So, cause I was like, maybe it was because of the pandemic. Cause my, my natural assumption would have been, um, a little bit more social scene downtown or in a condo or things like that, but it's to the contrary, I'm wrong. And it's not like that at all. I mean, that's an amazing thing. It's an amazing thing to have a walkable downtown center and like grab a glass of wine or a cup of coffee. Absolutely. But can you find an affordable place to purchase? Probably not. Well, and it's like, I remember being part of committees where we discussed dwelling in the future and what does that look like? And we certainly talked about multi-generational impacts. That was a trend that um, I was part of an NAR committee years ago. We were looking at that. But I know we were also looking at strong demand for living in kind of urban centers and um, Mm -hmm. where there's shopping and lifestyles and restaurants and all like just kind of a city lifestyle setting. Um, And I think that the notion of wanting larger square footage almost flies in the face of some of the assumptions that were being made seven, eight years ago. Does that make sense? 
It does. I think there has been a reinvention of urban areas, but I think in the last year, people did reorganize their priorities. But with reorganizing their priorities also comes affordability. And where can you find the housing stock? Where can you find something affordable? And if you're looking at that one bedroom condo in the city, is that attractive to be able to live, work, work out in, be your own restaurant? Probably not if you can find a two bedroom. Well, that was, and that (laughs) was my thinking that the pandemic would have accelerated that trend. And and it did. Mm But the fact that the train was happening before the pandemic is actually, I don't know, I don't want to be nerdy and geeky on this, but I'm, I'm intrigued by that. Mm, well, that's interesting to me because it's maybe not my assumptions. Uh, then we said the second thing was multi-generational homes. Mm-hmm. And so I, I'm trying to put the pieces together. Okay, how does that affect the market? Well, you already said it. Normally, folks might be being um, placed in some kind of a, a, a care facility or a mm-hmm. nursing home or something of that effect, and maybe they're not. But what it does is it puts pressure on the family that would be caring for their elderly to have a larger space to do so, or maybe like level living kind of a thing. Yeah, a a larger, yeah, absolutely. You need a larger space, but you also need a safe place. You need some place where you can have a wide enough doorway that you can bring a walker through or a bathroom that you can actually be able to self-service in the bathroom or kitchen where you're not going to get hurt. And so all of those items become very important to a family and they may need to remodel once they're in that home. How, so you gave some stats on the birth rate. We're seeing it's literally a third of what it was. I believe and you said 1958. Um, What about the number of like, or an increase or a percentage that shows how many folks are in the multi-generational kind of buyer space, just so we had optics on what that looks like. As agents, there's one in six buyers purchased a multi generational home post pandemic, and that's up from 11%. Um, so about one in 10. And I, I think it's very interesting this year because what we saw is that aging relatives is the number one reason. And it had kind of been an even mix between kids over the age of 18, boomeranging back versus cost savings. So different, different family arrangements where there's multiple people on the mortgage. But now it's aging parents, and that's the driver of this trend. Huh. It's fascinating. I'm just starting to do, I'm, I'm sort of conflating that with a decline in birth rates, um, maybe fewer families striking off on their own as well. Mm-hmm. I wonder how that all coincides. That's just curious. Hmm. Yeah. And it, right. So it's a check all that apply because you could have a, a very large family who's living in this home who has kids over the age of 18, kids under the age of 18, aging parents, the Gen X are in the middle trying to pay for everyone and actually accommodate everyone. Um, I mean, props to them for trying. I, absolutely. Props to them for trying. <laughs> um, and I, I think this is, this to me is ammunition or fuel to like, you got to know your marketplace. You have to know what people are looking for and what they need and be the resource and the knowledge broker to them. It's good. You're making my wheels spin. I don't have answers and I'm not going to, whenever I start thinking like really deeply about stuff, I typically ask really dumb questions because I get really (laughs) curious. So I just keep like rapid firing questions. I'm going to refrain and I'm going to just, so the last one you talked about was pets. You said that was kind of a a spec by comparison. Um, But I, I mean, I could probably, form a hypothesis that, you know, people are gener- getting pets. We got a pet. Families get mm-hmm. pets. Folks with no kids get pets. Everybody gets pets. Dogs are great. Cats yep. are great. Goldfish <laughs> are great. All the, uh, no, all pets are great. I'm never going to have a pet snake though. No, I, you know, I was thinking that I was like, not snakes. Snakes are not I'm not going to do a pet snake. Yeah. <laughs> They're not going to do a ferret. Um, no. People get pet spiders. I find that to be. Why? You don't need that. No, <laughs> I don't think no. You do. <laughs> I don't think you do. What a way to end the interview, right? You see how we land that ship? Talking about spiders and snakes. 
everyone's like, and done. (laughs) And I'm going to click off to the next episode. (laughs) So I want to say thank you first and foremost. You brought a lot of information. I mean, I wrote down a lot of a lot of really compelling statistics and trends that I was like, wow, I had no idea that it was one in six buyers looking for multi-gen housing. I had no idea. And so my question to my viewership would be, how is what you heard today going to influence what you post on social? What goes out your email newsletter? What you're saying to buyers and sellers and leads and folks with whom you come into contact? How's it going to shape your perspective strategically in terms of how you should be positioning yourself as an agent in your local marketplace? Um, Be the knowledge broker. And today, I think with your expertise and insight, Dr. Jessica Louts, you've done it. Thank you so much. Thank you. This was great. (laughs) All right. Have a great day. Thank you. (laughs) 